0: Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man! When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When he heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went out again to them. And he said to Jesus, where are you from? And the Lord didn't even answer him. Pilate said, you're not gonna speak to me? Don't you know? I have the power to crucify you. I have the power to release you. Jesus said, you couldn't have no power at all against me, except it were given you from above. Therefore, he that delivered me to thee hath the greater sin. From henceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king, speaketh against
1: Caesar. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell And our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me too. We want to welcome you to the biblical Passion of Christ as presented in the Bible, the Word of God. We will be listening to the Gospel of John as he presents our Savior's death, burial, and resurrection. And Dr. Mitchell will present what the Word of God reveals concerning our Lord Jesus from what the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was inspired to write. So thank you for being here with us in this very special season as we focus on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, on The Unchanging Word, Bible Broadcast. Dr. John G. Mitchell is in John chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. Well, the Jewish leaders had already decided in advance what the verdict was going to be before the evidence was ever in concerning Jesus the Christ. They said in verse 7 that they had a law, and according to their law, he ought to die. Well, God's divine revelation of himself and of the Messiah in the scriptures had now become for them merely a law book, and that wrongly understood. Dr. Mitchell places before us the fact that Jesus cannot be ignored. A person has to make a decision about him. So my question is, have you decided for him? Is he worthy of your trust? Is he at the center of your attraction? He loves you, and on the basis of the word of God, he will never, ever reject you. So please come to him who is able to give you life and that eternally, which will never pass away. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell, John chapter 19.
0: Thank you. Good day, friends. We again come to you, and we are dealing again It was the Gospel through John, and we're beginning in chapter 19. Uh, If I again may repeat one or two things. Our Lord here has been betrayed by Judas. Uh, Peter has denied his Lord, and the Savior has been brought before three courts. He is brought before the religious court of the Jews, and the great issue there is his claims, that is, his person claimed to be, God manifest in the flesh. This was the claim of our Savior. And as we said, we repeat it. When, when Caiaphas, the high priest, put our Savior under oath, when he said, We adjure thee by the living God. Tell us, Are you the Christ the Son of God? He said, Thou sayest, and you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Fulfilling Daniel chapter 7. So they said, What further need? If we have witnesses, we've heard him ourselves. And then he came before Herod's court, the worldly court of Herod. And our Lord, you remember, would not satisfy Herod's curiosity. Herod wanted to see the Lord perform some miracle, do something spectacular, and the Lord never opened his mouth, never said a word. He ignored the curiosity of the sinful heart of Herod. Then he came before Pilate. And in our last lesson we were dealing with him before Pilate. And you remember what Pilate the issue, the issue is a political one as well as the one concerning his character. As I said a while ago, the Jews crucified our Savior because he claimed to be God. But Pilate, the Gentile governor, uh, the question before him was, Are you really a king? That's political. What evil have you done? That's his character. Now we're down to chapter 19, starting in at the first verse. And as we go through, you'll notice it. He had already come out before the Jews and said, I find no fault in him at all. And then you remember he gave them a choice. And I don't mind repeating this because I think Pilate Pilate was really uh, in a quandary to know what to do. He didn't want to kill the Savior. He found no fault in Jesus. He had no love for the Jew either. But they were clamoring for the death of our Savior. And again, may I remind you uh, that they... The sentence was passed that Jesus should die before he ever had a trial, before he ever had a trial. And when they brought Jesus to Pilate, it was not with the thought that Pilate would try him and see if he's good or bad. The the verdict was already passed. He must die, and he must die by crucifixion. As Pilate said, you've got a law. You can take him out. You can stone him. They said, not the way we want it, we want him to die by crucifixion. So, Pilate, as I say, try to get out of it, and we're down to the last two verses of chapter 18, where Pilate says, you've got a custom that every Passover time we generally release someone who's in jail. And he gave them a choice between Jesus, who was on trial, in whom he found no fault, and Barabbas, the worst man he could find in his prison. A man who was a murderer, it was a thief, it was a robber, and I'm sure that Pilate really believed that they would have chosen Jesus instead of Barabbas. I'm sure that Pilate must have heard about Jesus and about him going about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. I'm sure he had heard about the miracles of our Savior. In fact, when they went and took um policemen to take our Savior, and I quote from John chapter 7, They came back and said uh, to the religious leaders of the day, never man spake like this man. I'm sure Pilate knew all about that. He knew what was going on. He had his men all through the city of Jerusalem. He knew what was going on. As I said a moment ago, he found no fault in the Savior, but he really believed that he'd get out of this by putting up Barabbas. And they made a choice. He gave them a choice, and they chose Barabbas, the murderer, the thief, the vagabond, instead of Jesus. In closing our last message, I was speaking of the fact that you've got to make a choice too. You can't ignore Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You must do something about it, either accept him or reject him. You can't ignore him. You must face the Son of God. You remember in, in Revelation chapter 6, at the end of the chapter, when our Lord comes in judgment, all the kings of the earth and the rich men and the chief men and every bondman and free man call for the rocks and the mountains to hide them from the face of him that cometh in his wrath. For the great day of his wrath is come. Who? The wrath of the Lamb. I tell you, friend, you're faced with a very serious thing if you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, this is your opportunity. For the Lord is still is still saving sinners. If you tell me you're the greatest sinner on earth, I'll accept your word for it and tell you that you're a you're in good line to be saved. That's the only kind of folk He saves are sinners. He didn't come to die for the good, for the religious. He came to die for sinners. This is a faithful. Wo- Saying, and worthy of all acceptation, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But he himself said in John, in Luke 19, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Did you notice something? If I may bring it in here. Jesus is condemned to death. The death of the cross. Barabbas is set free. Could I just say a word about Barabbas? You talk about a lesson in perfect substitution. Barabbas was condemned to death. Barabbas was the man who should have been crucified. And if any man knew what substitution was, it would be Barabbas. I'm sure the day our Lord, that very same night, our Lord was crucified. I'm very sure that Barabbas could have said, "There's the man who's dying for me." It's a real thing with him. I'm sure he could hardly believe it, that he was set free. Never dreamed that when he was put up against Jesus, that they would free him and crucify Jesus. He expected fully to be crucified instead of Jesus. Jesus took his place. My friend, Jesus took your place. He took my place. We were the ones who had sinned against the Lord. We were the ones who were worthy of death, for the wages of sin is death. Now, I'm living in a day when wages are changing all the time. He has one wage that never changes. It has never changed in the centuries. What's that? The wages of sin is death. Sin pays wages. God executes the penalty. And either you die or someone dies in your stead. So Barabbas could say, there's the man who died for me. And I tell you, my friend, I can say the same thing. When I look at Jesus Christ on the cross, there's the man who died for Mitchell. I was the one worthy of crucifixion. Why, well, you say, Mr. Mitchell, you weren't a very bad fellow. I'm telling you, my friend, in the sight of God, I was worthy of crucifixion. I was dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus took my place. I can say with the Apostle Paul, who loved me and gave himself for me, he died for you. As Peter could write in 1 Peter 3, Jesus, the just one, died for the unjust. What for? That he might bring us to God. Or 2 Corinthians 5.21, He hath made Jesus Christ to be sin for us, he who knew no sin. Or as one dear leader used to put it, Jesus, who knew no sin, was made sin for me, who knew no righteousness, that I who knew no righteousness might be made the righteousness of God in him. Or as someone has aptly paraphrased that verse, he became what I was, sin, that I might become what he is, righteous. I can't plumb the depths of it, but the fact is, my friend, that Jesus bore your wages and my wages. And I'm sure again that Barabbas, as he walked through the crowded streets of Jerusalem in the feast day of Passover, and looked up at the cross, he could say to everyone, he passed by, there's the man who took my place. There's the man who died for me. Perfect substitution. But it also is a revelation of the terribleness of the human heart, where these religious leaders, religious leaders whose hearts were murderous, yet had such a show of piety and religious, religiousness, they said, give us Barabbas. We prefer, we prefer a Barabbas, a murderer, to Jesus Christ. You see, well, Mr. Mitchell, I, I wouldn't do that. No? Then let me ask you the question. Do you prefer to have your sin, or do you prefer to have Jesus Christ, the Savior? You have to make that choice. Either Jesus Christ is your Savior from sin, or... You are satisfied to be dead in trespasses and sins, away from God, far off, without hope, without Christ, without God. What a prospect, eh? No hope, no hope. I again say, I just pray that the Lord put it into your heart to accept the Savior, pass from death to life. Again, may I remind you, He took you a place, died your death and then turn around and give you his place you can stand before god in all the righteousness and beauty of christ this is good news from god to men and i would plead with your heart friend if you've never accepted the savior to accept him today and pass from death to life now let us go to chapter 19 chapter 19 and i'm sure you folk wouldn't mind me Uh, spending the time on those last two verses about Barabbas and this wonderful doctrine of substitution. Now, in chapter 19, and I'm going to read right on down through verse 12 just to get the picture of this. Then Pilate, therefore, took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said to them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then the Jews, then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. That's the third time Pilate said this. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Let me just, let me just stop here for a moment, because this is where you have Pilate now. is really over the barrel. First of all, let me ask the question, why in the world did Pilate scourge Jesus? Verse 1, he has just said in chapter 18, verse 38, I find no fault in him at all. Then why in the world did he scourge him? When he thought he'd get rid of them by, give, by offering them Barabbas or Jesus, as I said a while ago, he thought they would have accepted Jesus. Now he took the Savior and scourged him. Why scourge him if he found no fault in him? Please, don't have any excuse for Pilate. He's just as equally guilty as the Jewish leaders. And by the way, if you only knew what scourging was, scourging was one of the hardest, most severe, most painful of all the tortures that the Romans conceived against anybody. And when a person was scourged, he came within an inch of losing his life. Do you know Paul could say? Three times received I, 40 stripes save one. 40 is a death sentence. Here they take the son of God, they take his robes off and he's, he's hung up at the scourging post. His feet are about six inches off the ground, tied. His hands are stretched out, tied. And a soldier takes a, a whip of leather thongs, and in the, lo- in the thongs are pieces of pieces of iron, sometimes pieces of copper. And every stroke rips the skin, so that when the Lord was through being scourged, he was bloody from the top of his head all the way down, and his skin hanging, just, just hanging. My friend, it's hard to conceive. And as far as I know, I'm not being dogmatic on this, but as far as I know, we have no case where a person who was going to be crucified should be scourged. Then why did Pilate scourge Jesus when they wanted him crucified, because he thought when he brought Jesus out with all the blood and the crown of thorns on his head and his flesh in ribbons, he thought that he would win their sympathy and they would say he's had enough, let him go. I believe this was in Pilate's mind. He scourged the Son of God and to put a crown of thorns and pushed it on his head thorns possibly an inch and a half long, and with, his, and with his body and skin just hanging in shreds and the blood running down his face, and they smote him with their hands. And as one, one passage says, they spit upon him, and here he stands. He's brought out of the judgment hall and brought before the big crowd, and he thought surely now they let him go. I think this was in Pilate's mind. He never believed, he never believed they would really, really, really crucify him after they saw what he had done in scourging him. As I said a moment ago, as far as we know, we have no record of anyone who is being crucified was also scourged. They said, hail king of the Jews, is what the Pilate soldier said. Put up on him a purple robe in mockery to him. And Pilate brought him out. See, see what he is. I bring him forth to you, and I want you to know I find no fault in him. And there he stood with the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate says, Behold the man. The chief priest said, Crucify him. Pilate said, you take him and do that. You take him and crucify him. I don't want to go any further. I've, I've scourged him. I don't want to go any further than that. Nobody scourged, just crucified. You take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him at all. They said, we have a law. And by our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Oh, the awfulness of the sinful heart. And yet look at the claim. May I just remind you, verse 5, Pilate says, Behold the man. In verse 7, he made himself the son of God. In verse 14, Pilate said, Behold your king. And by the way, may I say, our Savior, our Savior qualified for all three. Behold the man, the only real man that ever lived. Behold the man, the man. They said he's the son, he made himself the son of God. And Paul says, behold, your king. Friend, may I say you've got three gospels there. Behold the man. That's the gospel through Luke. He made himself the son of God. That's the gospel through John. Behold your king. That's the gospel through Matthew. And our Lord qualifies, I say, for all three. You see, as a king, he examined him. And as a king, he judged him, crucified him. You have here, first of all, acquittal with abasement, acquittal with scourging, acquittal with crucifixion. Paulette trying to get out of it. Now notice what happens. He made himself the Son of God. And this I, I breathe this this really terrified Pilate. When he heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went out again to them. And he said to Jesus, "Where are you from?" And the Lord didn't even answer him. Pilate said, "You're not going to speak to me? Don't you know? I have the power to crucify you. I have the power to release you." Jesus said. You couldn't have no power at all against me, except it were given you from above. Therefore, he that delivered me to thee hath the greater sin. From henceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king, speaketh against Caesar. Now they've really got him over the barrel. May I just close today? I've been talking about you've got to make the you've got to make a decision between Christ and Barabbas, or between the Lord Jesus Christ and your sin. When you face up to the fact concerning the person of our Savior? Behold the man. He claimed to be the Son of God. Behold your King. Jesus Christ is the only sinless one. Jesus Christ is the only one who can make the claim that he made himself the Son of God, that he was the Son of God, and he claimed to be the Son of God, as well as the King of Israel. My friend, you've got to do something about this, Jesus of Nazareth. You've just got to do something about it. And I tell you, time is running out. Some of you folks have heard the gospel all your lifetime and you've never really bowed before him. You may be like these Jews, you've been very, very religious with a heart full of sin, a heart full of rebellion, a heart full of unbelief, but you've kept up an outward sign of being religious and good. You know, right down your own heart, you need a Savior. I tell you, my friend, as Paul could say, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation." This is the time for you to accept the Savior. You make your choice. Either Jesus Christ is worthy of your worship and your trust, or you ought to be killed. I just pray, God, that you will put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and pass from death to life today. May the Lord bless
1: you for his name's sake. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the unchanging word PO Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. Life begins a town